There we go. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. I'm excited about getting into 1 Corinthians. So just so you know, my goal is that I'm going to teach today, and then uh, Jay is up next week, maybe? And then I'm going to try and teach in two weeks, and then I'm probably going to be watching Aaron have a baby at some point in there. And so I'm, I'm going to disappear for a while, and you're going to know what happened, okay? Now. If for some reason Aaron has a baby between now and two weeks, that's Steve's problem, okay? So we'll see what happens. But we've, uh, he's, he's got plenty of people to call on, all right? But today, Steve did a wonderful job last week of introducing us to 1 Corinthians. We're going to start with the first nine verses today. So if you have a Bible, make sure you open that up. And then there's handouts on your table that can be helpful to you if you need to. And uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll get into our message today. Colton, can you turn me down just a touch? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. And thank you just for the opportunity we have to study 1 Corinthians and how we are to be called to Christ-likeness. And so I just pray that you uh, would bless our time today, that we would be able to understand your word and honor you. Pray all this in your name. Amen. On March 8th of this year, 2023, just over six months ago, the United States Army held a press conference for a, a unique reason. The press conference was focused on a rebranding of the United States military's uh, U.S. Army's advertising campaign. So they came on March 8th, 2023, and their new slogan with their updated logo was now, Be All That You Can Be. Now, what's interesting is that that used to be the advertising slogan for the U.S. Army back in the 1980s and 90s, and it was changed, and it's been changed several times, and now they decided to go back to that slogan, be all that you can be. The Secretary of the Army, Christine Wormuth, said that serving in the United States Army is, is a calling, and it's a calling that is, is based in passion and purpose, and it is fundamentally a hopeful calling because, as they described, there are, are endless possibilities once you have experience in the Army. Now, as we come to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to be clear that, that God nor Paul is calling us to, quote unquote, be all that you can be. But rather, God is calling us through 1 Corinthians 1 to be all that we are. <laughs> that is, we have been called and we are sanctified in Jesus Christ, and therefore we need to live like we are sanctified in Jesus Christ. We need to be exactly who God has called us to be. And so for our theme this morning, we'll say it this way. By God's grace given us in Christ Jesus... Christians must live holy lives, or you might say must live sanctified lives. By God's grace given us in Christ Jesus, Christians must live holy lives. Now remember this, this letter that was written by Paul to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And remember that, that we talked a lot about last week, that this is a letter of correction. This is a letter calling the Corinthians that they need to be more mature than they have been, that they need to grow up and act like they are really truly in Christ. And we'll see that even kind of portrayed as, as a preview in the first nine verses as Paul opens the letter. So let's go ahead and do this. Let's read the first nine verses and then we'll walk through it together. First Corinthians chapter one, verse one, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, 
to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. I'm really sorry, is there a beeping going on somewhere? Is that outside? Yeah, okay, all right. We'll, uh, we'll reset, and I'm going to work really hard. Here we go. Their Lord and ours. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, as we come to the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, we're seeing that by God's grace, we must live holy lives. So here we'll see kind of two expressions of God's grace to us in Christ. And the first one that we see in uh, verses 1, 2, and 3 is who Christ calls us to be. Who Christ calls us to be. And the first thing that we'll see in verse 1 is that Christ calls us as Christians to be faithful gospel witnesses. Notice verse 1 says, Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now we know about Paul, right? You remember Saul of Tarsus who was, who was so highly educated, a Pharisee of Pharisees, educated by Gamaliel, and then uh, was uh, met by the Lord on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He was saved and dramatically converted, and then he was said that he was to be a special messenger for God, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, remember? And so here he says, Paul, Paul is writing, it is me, and it says, called as an apostle. Now that word called is, is not called like we call someone, hey, hey, and maybe they respond, maybe they don't. Hey, come over here. Maybe they respond, maybe they don't. If it's your kid, they definitely don't come. They just stay where they're at, right? This isn't how that works. When God calls, things happen, okay? When it says Paul was called as an apostle, we might say he was summoned, okay? He doesn't get a choice of doing this or not. He was called as an apostle by Jesus Christ. He, he was an apostle, uh, an apostle, a special messenger that Jesus Christ chose to be the one who would spread the gospel and would be able to even do miracles to affirm his message of the gospel. There were very specific parameters for who could be an apostle. One of them in Acts chapter 1 is that he had to be a witness of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and therefore we know that apostleship is not a gift that continues all through the church age. We don't have apostles anymore, regardless of what churches around here try to say. And so when I say you need to be a faithful gospel witness, I am not saying that you should be an apostle because you are not, okay? But Paul, as he fulfilled his role before Jesus Christ as an apostle, was faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we ought to be as well. In the Zondervan commentary, it says, Paul emphasizes his authoritative position by drawing attention to his role as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that this letter was not going to be easy to swallow. And so he said, I am writing to you not on my own behalf, but because I am a messenger of Jesus Christ and you need to listen. But what is he an apostle of? Well, we notice he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's his calling. That's his goal. He is after proclaiming the cause of Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. 
In one sense, we can look at this passage, and maybe you noticed while we were reading it, in one sense we can look at the passage and say the theme of this is that we should be sanctified as saints in Christ Jesus. In another sense, we can say the theme of this passage is Jesus. (laughs) It's just Jesus. Did you notice? Nine times in nine verses it used the word Jesus. Uh, sorry, in eight times in nine verses, it uses the word Jesus. Nine times it uses the word Christ. It calls him the Lord Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ five times. And he is referenced in every verse in the first nine verses. One commentary said, we should notice the way Paul dwells on the name of his Savior. Nine times in nine verses, he makes use of his name and he will do it again in verse 10. Christ is absolutely central. Everything we are talking about today, who Christ calls us to be and what he has done for us, all of that is because of the work and person of Jesus Christ. Everything that I'm going to call you to and say you need to live differently is not because you can do it. It's because Jesus Christ can, okay? Jesus is the theme of these verses. Number three, the authority here. Who is his authority? Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul says, I'm not doing this. I didn't, I didn't nominate myself for apostleship. I didn't say, okay, I'll be the one. No, no, no. Remember, Paul was trying to not be the one, and he was intervened by God in his life. And so the authority that he is speaking with is not his own. It is by the will of God, God's desire through him. And then notice at the end of verse 1, Sosthenes, our brother. Uh, Steve reminded us last week about how Sosthenes in Acts chapter 18 was the leader of the synagogue. And when Paul was getting in trouble there, they actually beat Sosthenes because they couldn't get to Paul. Well, if he was the leader of the synagogue, he may or may not have inclinations toward this new Jesus, the gospel message. And so he's a Jew getting beat because Paul came in to share the gospel. Well, that's a real problem, right? But apparently, and we don't know all of the details, but apparently between him getting beaten in uh, chapter 18, verse 17 of Acts, and now apparently he has been saved by the power of the gospel, and now he is one of Paul's ministry partners, so much so that he is co-writing this letter and perhaps even taking this letter to Corinth from Paul, and they would have known him there in the church. It's pretty amazing. Just so you know, you need to be faithful to be a witness of the gospel if you are in Christ even when it's hard, even when you have to get beaten in public and then you still go and join that cause and then go and share the gospel with people. Pretty amazing, right? Now, are you and I apostles? The answer is no. Should we be faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us from our sin? Yeah. Paul had to be an apostle because God told him to. Sosthenes got to be a brother because God allowed him to. Pretty neat. Now, number two, what are we called to? We are called to be sanctified church members. Look at verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Number one, we see uh, several things about this church. What is this church? Well, number one, we realize that the church is God's. (laughs) To the church of God. This is the church, the assembly, the congregation, the the local body of believers. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says the church belongs to God, not to man. And had the Corinthians recognized this, they wouldn't have a problem with divisions. You see, the problem with churches nowadays is they think that they're in charge, but they're not. Biblical healthy churches recognize that the church is God's. Just so you know, Countryside Bible Church, it is not your church. It is not my church. It's not the elder's church. It's not Pastor Tom's church. This is God's church. We get to do what he says. 
The church is God's. Number two, we see the church is local. Notice it says, verse two, to the church of God, which is where? At Corinth. This isn't to the church of God everywhere, but we're going to get there. But the church of God at Corinth, there is a local body of believers gathered together to worship and serve and fellowship together. And God says, Paul says, I'm writing to that group of people. Just so you know, Uh, We like to think in grandiose terms, God knows every believer of all time. Yes, he does. God also knows the difference between Countryside Bible Church and North Lake Bible Church and all the other churches. You know why? Because he knows that the church is a local gathering of believers. That's what he's called us to do. And so for us, I've met people in my life, you probably have too. Do you go to church? Oh, you know, I don't really go to church. I mean, everywhere is my church, you know, and you're like, okay, you just don't have a church, okay? The church is local. God has called us to be in local gatherings, and so we ought to be. So the question for you and me is, are we committed to a local church? Just so you know, it doesn't have to be Countryside Bible Church. It can be all kinds of biblical healthy churches around the world and the country, but you need to be in a local church, and you need to be committed to being there and serving and worshiping together. Number three, we see that the church is sanctified. The church is sanctified to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, to be sanctified, we're going to talk about this a lot today, to be sanctified is to be set apart as holy, or in the Old Testament, the word it it usually uses is consecrated. Remember when they were building the tabernacle and then the Leviticus and all that, they kept saying these things were consecrated, even like the clothes the priests wore and stuff. They were consecrated. What does that mean? They were set apart. They weren't normal things. They were unique. They were set apart for a specific purpose. They were holy in that sense. Now, when Jesus, or, well, Jesus, but through Paul, says to those who have been sanctified, what does that mean? Well, this is what theologians call positional sanctification. That is, when you were saved, the moment that Jesus Christ saved you from your sin and gave you a new heart, you became sanctified. You were set apart. You are not the same person you were. You are something different, and you are set apart for a unique purpose to serve God and to be holy, all right? We see that even in this letter later in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. Remember, it goes to that list, who's not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, deceived, uh, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, all these people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you. You were all these things, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were set apart for God, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says, by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. If you are a Christian, you are sanctified. You are set apart as holy before God. You don't get to decide yes or no. You are sanctified in Jesus Christ. And by the way, we're gonna talk about this in a minute. This is why you can get into heaven is not because you're good, it's because you are already sanctified in the eyes of God because of Jesus Christ, okay? So the church is sanctified, positional sanctification. Also, the church is being sanctified, okay? Now this is what theologians call progressive sanctification. That is, we are getting more and more holy as we go along because of God's work on our behalf, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. But notice it says saints by calling. It's the same word he used when Paul said he was called as an apostle. You were called as a saint. You don't get a choice. Like Paul didn't get a choice to be an apostle. You don't get a choice to be sanctified. He says you are saints by calling. Live up to what you already are. Be all you can be, except not in the army sense, in the sanctified sense. You need to be sanctified. You need to live in a way that matches what you are. 
And so we see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Romans 8, 28, and 29. We know God works all things together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Well, what's his purpose? So that you would become conformed to the image of his son. You know what his purpose is for you, Christian? For you to live like Jesus. That's his purpose for you. So the question is, okay, okay, you're saying I need to be sanctified. I am sanctified, I guess, and then now I need to be sanctified, but you said I already was, but now I need to be more. I don't know. What does this mean? What does it mean? Becoming holy. Thank you. It actually means two things. You ready? Becoming holy in two ways. Number one, James 1.27 talks about personal holiness, okay? Holy, in the Old Testament sense of being consecrated, means that you are not corrupted. You're not stained. You're not blemished by the world. So in James 1.27, it says, keep yourself unstained by the world. You and I, by being sanctified, need to fight against sin and temptation and worldly desires, to be holy, to be sanctified, means that we are putting off sin and we're putting on righteousness. Now, for you and me, it might look differently depending on who it is. Maybe it's something you're watching. Maybe it's something you're looking at on the Internet. Maybe it's something you're reading. Maybe it's the conversations you're having with people. Maybe it's the way you think about your mother-in-law. I don't know. You need to put off sin and you need to put on righteousness. That is you being sanctified, okay? There's a second thing that it means to be sanctified, because sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to be holy, I'm going to be sanctified, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get away from everything. I'm going to go be a hermit and a monk up in a thing somewhere, and then I won't have to deal with all the sin of the world. I'll be set apart all by myself. Well, first of all, you miss the fact that you take all your sin with you, because it's you, you know, okay, that's a problem. But secondly, there's another aspect of being sanctified. Remember, when we talked about being consecrated, all the things in the tabernacle and, and the clothes and all that, they were set apart for what? They were set apart for a purpose, okay? They were used. And so in 2 Timothy 2.21, it says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, uh, these sins of false teaching, he will be a vessel for honor, listen to this, sanctified, useful to the master, ready for every good work. See that? If you are to be sanctified, it doesn't just mean that you're fighting sin. It also means that you're putting on righteousness and trying to be useful for the kingdom of God. Being sanctified means you're set aside for a purpose. God chose you and he set you aside and said, you've got work to do. Ephesians 2.10, the works that he's prepared beforehand for us to do. If you're not putting active effort into living out your Christian life like Jesus, you're not being sanctified, no matter how holy you think you are inside. Okay? Now, how? How can we be sanctified? Okay, I understand what I need to be. How can I do that? Well, you can't. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. It is God who is at work in you. You actually can't be sanctified. You say, okay, I'm ready to be sanctified. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to do it really good. I'm going to do it extra good this week. And I say, you can't. You're sinful. <laughs> God is at work in you. Yet, and this is amazing, God expects you to work. Because in that verse, chapter 12, uh, Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, now much more in my absence, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You say, whoa, whoa, works-based salvation? No, work out your salvation. You need to put in effort to work at your salvation, to be more and more holy. Why? Because God is at work in you. God's doing the work. The illustration I use sometimes, I probably use this with some of y'all, is my daughter Alice is five, and suddenly, a couple weeks ago, she figured out how to swim. Like, she's jumping off the diving board, swimming to the side, great. I didn't have to save her from drowning once, okay? It was great. When she was little, a couple years ago, when she thought she could swim, 
we would go into my mom's pool and I would take her floaty off and I would go into the pool with her and I would hold her at the top of the water. And I would say, Alice, kick. And she would kick and she would splash me and she would kick and she would move like this much, right? Now the question is, when she's three years old and she can't swim and I'm holding her in the water, what happens if I take my hands away? Well, the short answer is she's dead, okay? There's nothing saving her. She's at the bottom. But what happens if she kicks? She moves a little bit. You see, if God took his hands away, you're not sanctified by yourself. You're not swimming by yourself. The only reason you are making any progress in your Christian life is because he's holding you up the whole way. But he says, kick. And we have to kick, and we have to kick really, really hard. And sometimes we kick really, really hard, and we move this much. And that's okay, because we keep kicking, and we keep moving. And eventually, God doesn't take his hands away, because then we still would be dead. But we actually kick a little bit and move a little bit as we grow, right? God is at work in us, and yet we are to work out our salvation. So the Bible Knowledge Commentary sums up this section like this. Those who compose the church, that's all of us who are true believers, have been sanctified, set apart by God as his possession. The burden of Paul's letter here is that the Corinthians' practice might more nearly approximate their position. You need to live how you are. Jesus Christ as Lord was to be obeyed. You see, when we come to this book of 1 Corinthians, just so you know, I've been really convicted this week that we're a lot more like 1 Corinthians than we think we are. They had really good teaching. They had really, you know, popular, well-known, educated teachers. They had a lot of spiritual giftedness, and they weren't obeying. <laughs> we need to be careful that we are obeying and we are living how we are, that we are actually living like sanctified people, okay? So the church is God's, the church is local, the church is sanctified, the church is being sanctified, but also a reminder, the church is universal. <laughs> We can get really excited about what's going on at Countryside Bible Church, or they got really excited about what was going on at Corinth. There's more. There's more people. The Lord has people all over the world. Look at, at verse 2. Along with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. All these people, there are Christians all over the world. You're not the only ones. And by the way, if you realize that, you would have an easier time with unity among yourselves when you realize that you're not the only person that's right in the whole world. No, 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 no. God has people all over the world who have called in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to be thankful for them. So, quick application. Are, are you committed to the local church here? And are you committed to the universal church? How are you praying for brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, across the country? Are you praying for our missionaries and encouraging them and all those things? Can be thankful that the church is not just us. So Christ calls us to be faithful gospel witnesses, to be sanctified church members, and number three, to be reconciled grace recipients. That is, God has given his grace to us through Jesus Christ. Verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens every single letter in the New Testament that he wrote with this statement, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter one, 2 Corinthians one, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, Paul opens his letters with this. By the way, a small argument why I don't think Hebrews was written by Paul himself. Totally aside, another sermon, all right? <laughs> grace to you. God has given you favor that you did not deserve. Peace to you. 
you are now reconciled to the holy God of the universe and to all of his people because of the work of God on your behalf, extended to you through Jesus Christ the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, Jesus Christ has called us by his grace to be sanctified, to be faithful, preaching the gospel, to be sanctified in our lives because we have received grace from him. Secondly, he's going to back that up. How can you do all this? How can you actually work hard at being sanctified? Again, it's not you. It's because what Christ has already done, what Christ has done for us. The second expression of God's grace is Christ has already done it. Look at at chapter 1, verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul opens most of his letters with a thank you on behalf of those people. I thank God for something. What's interesting is letter to letter, that thing changes. What Paul thanks God for them or about them changes. And we get to 1 Corinthians and he says, I thank my God always at all times concerning you. And we say, stop. I've read 1 Corinthians. These people are messed up. How in the world is he thanking God for these people? Well, notice what he says he's thankful for. I am thankful for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. First of all, he's not thankful for their bad behavior. He is thankful for what God has done on their behalf, what the grace that God has given them in Jesus Christ. And remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 6? Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Such were some of you, but now you are sanctified and justified. One commentary says, no, Paul's heart is filled with gratitude because God chose to call his people out of the immoral and idolatrous environment of Corinth. Even there, God established the church in fellowship with Jesus Christ, and for that reason, he can continually thank God. You know why Paul is thanking God for these people who are really messed up and need to mature and need to grow in their faith and need to be sanctified? Because they were so much worse before God got there. And by the way, you and I are too. We need to be careful. I told you I was convicted this week. We need to be careful to not look at other people and say, golly, are you going to be a real Christian or not? Forgetting that that's exactly what we were but for the grace of God, right? So an application, being patient with others, being patient especially with new believers who are learning and growing, encouraging them, not tolerating sin, not excusing anything, but being patient because what Paul says here is he doesn't come down hard on them with a hammer quite yet. He says, just so you know, I recognize that you are already fundamentally different than when we started. When I was there a few years ago and I preached the gospel to you, to where you are now is totally different because I'm thankful for the grace that God has given you through Jesus Christ. So what has Christ done for us? What are we thankful for his grace having done for us? There's four things. Number one, Christ has enriched us. Christ has enriched us. Verse five, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. You were enriched. It's the word for make rich. So it's a passive. So they were made rich. They were made wealthy. Okay, what's the idea? Well, a couple times in the New Testament, this word is used about physical wealth, you know, uh, possessions and money and all that. 
Revelation 18, like Pastor Tom preached a couple weeks ago, when, when Antichrist's massive kingdom and all the wealth is destroyed in a matter of minutes, what happens? All the people look on and they proclaim and they're sad and they, they declare with woe, such great wealth has been laid waste. This wealth, this massive incalculable amount of wealth has just been destroyed. So on, the, on that side, wealth was bad because it was used by people who hated God, and so he destroyed their wealth. But in 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes to Timothy saying that he should instruct those believers who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He says there are Christians that are wealthy, that are rich in this present world, physically speaking. And just so you know, statistically speaking, that's every single person in this room by any measurement out there, okay? You are rich in this present world. But he says, what should you do with that? You should enjoy that because God has given us, he richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, but you may not fix your hope on that thing. Why? Because riches are uncertain. You may not fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. You fix your hope on God who is certain and who is the one who gives you those things. So God says sometimes wealth is bad if it's by people who hate God and are using it for their own good. Sometimes wealth is good because God blesses us with it and we can use it to enjoy and praise him. So what are we talking about here? Well, actually, in this passage, we're not talking about either of those things because we're not talking about physical wealth. We are talking about spiritual wealth. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to get there next year, I guess. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking about them being givers, giving physical money, okay, being liberal in that, being, being generous in that. And he says, now he who supplies seed to the sower, this is God, God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Like, oh, okay. He's talking about if we give money, he will give us more money. The answer is no. He says he will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. <laughs> you see, by us giving physical money, God is providing for us spiritual wealth. He has blessed us in that. And so here in 1 Corinthians, we're talking about spiritual wealth, the fact that Jesus Christ has given to his people more spiritual wealth than they could ever possibly imagine. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, The Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, Jesus was punished for your sin and my sin on the cross so that you can have the wealth of salvation. That is amazing. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, remember, it says, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You and I are wealthy beyond compare. God has given us grace through Jesus Christ, and he has enriched us. Now, specifically notice in verse 5, Paul says he enriches us in a very specific way. He says, you were enriched in him in everything, every spiritual blessing, but specifically in all speech and all knowledge. The idea here, and we're going to talk about this more as we get into 1 Corinthians, is he's talking about spiritual giftedness. God, through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has given us this giftedness that we can use for the service of the body. And he says, and you guys at Corinth, you have a lot. He has enriched you in speech and knowledge. You understand these things, the, the truths of the gospel, and you can articulate them well. 
He uses the same idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Paul actually uses it opposite there in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, hey, remember how you're good at all the spiritual giftedness? Don't forget to be giving practically to other people. Just rem remind you, remind me. <laughs> I don't have to remind you of this. The economy is junk, right? And it's going to get worse. But we don't need that. We're not after physical riches. We're not after physical wealth. God is good. He's kind to give us things that we can enjoy. But when it comes down to it, even when we are poor, we are rich. Because Christ has enriched us through God's grace. So ultimately, if nothing else, we need to learn to be content with our circumstances. Because we have everything we need. If we have nothing, we have everything in Christ. Christ has enriched us. Also, Christ has confirmed us. Verses 6 and 7. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the testimony or the witness of Christ was confirmed in you. Uh, Paul's really saying two things here. He says, first, uh, this, the, the testimony of Christ, which is what? The, the gospel, right? The, the witness of who Jesus is, what he's done. It is confirmed in you. And, and some, phrases, uh, some places in the scripture use the word established. It, it's, it's cemented into you. If you're in Christ, if you're a true Christian, the gospel is in you and you can't get it out. Okay? It has been established and firmly planted and cemented into your heart. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, He who establishes us with you in Christ is God. Okay? God has done that in us. But also confirmed, when we hear the English word confirmed, we think confirmed by evidence. Oh, I thought this was true, but then I found evidence that confirmed that, right? That's the idea. Well, Paul uses it that way too, because notice he says in verse 5, sorry, verse 6 and 7, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that, such that, these are the evidences that confirm that you really had the gospel established in your heart in the first place. Well, what are those things? Well, number one, Christ has confirmed us. We, we are confirmed to have the gospel because we have spiritual gifts. Notice he says, you are not lacking in any gift. The Corinthians, we're going to find out later, were, were especially spiritually gifted in all kinds of ways. And Paul says, of course you are. You have been given spiritual gifts so that you are not lacking in any way. You're not, you're not lacking. You're not running short. Uh, it's the same word in uh, John chapter 2 when he's at the wedding at Cana and it says the wine ran out. The wine was lacking. Paul says, not lacking. You have no spiritual gift lacking. Your church has an abundance of spiritual gifts. And we know that, right? Because every Christian at the time of their conversion is given spiritual giftedness by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 11, uh, chapter 12, verse 11. One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. He gives gifts to every person. 1 Peter chapter 4, remember when we studied that last year, that, that <clears throat> the, uh, each one has received a special gift, so we should employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every Christian has a spiritual giftedness that they need to use to serve other people. And Paul says in Corinthians, you're not immature because you don't have spiritual gifts. The gospel has been established in you, and one of the ways I know that is because your spiritual giftedness is flourishing. So the question for you and me is, if every Christian has a spiritual gift, are you using your giftedness to serve other people in the church? It's a question. 
There's another evidence that Paul sees in their life, and that's number two, that we anticipate his return. He says, you are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an intensive form, uh, eagerly awaiting. They, they can't wait, right, our kids would say. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, said, the more confirmed we are in the Christian faith, the more firm is our belief of our Lord's coming, and the more earnest our expectation of it. I'll tell you what, there's a couple of things that'll, <clears throat> excuse me, couple things that'll tell me if someone is in Christ or not. If they're really struggling, ah, I don't know, I, I, I know all the right stuff, but I don't know if I'm really in Christ. Two things. Number one, what's your relationship with sin? Okay. Do you care when you sin that it's a, an offense against a holy God? Number two, do you want Jesus to come back? You see, when we sit around here and we say, you know what, you know, there's a country song years ago, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now, right? If that's you, if that's your heart where you say, yeah, yeah, heaven sounds good, but I got, I got things to do. I got, I got things I want to experience. I got that vacation coming up. I really hope Jesus doesn't come back to at least the first of the year. You are missing the point, right? Uh, we are, <laughs> we have work to do here. Don't get me wrong. But we are not about here and now. We're, we're about the future. We're about waiting until the final consummation when Jesus comes. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans chapter 8, verses 19, 23, 25. It keeps going on and on about the anxious longing that we have in our hearts. Even the creation anxiously longs for the consummation. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So my question for you and for me, and this is hard, this is, this is a soul-searching question, is do you really honestly want Jesus to come back as soon as he wants to? Or is your heart tied to other things? Is your heart invested in this world in ways that it shouldn't be? You see, if our hearts truly, genuinely are established and confirmed in the gospel, one of the ways we see that is we are done with this world and we are ready for Jesus. But we have work to do. He's left us here for a reason, and so we need to live in a way that's honoring to him even while we wait, but we wait eagerly. Number three, Christ will confirm us. You see, just as he has confirmed the gospel in us, and we're confirmed by these evidences. Now it says, Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus. And we talked about positional sanctification at the beginning, right? You are sanctified. We talked about progressive sanctification. That is, you are being sanctified. You're getting more and more holy as you grow in your faith. And now here, Jesus, Paul talks about final sanctification. You will be sanctified. When it comes to the end, Jesus Christ will confirm that you are blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the day of his return. Notice that you will be uh, confirmed blameless, that is beyond reproach. No sin will be able to, to tag onto you. And it's persevering. It's all the way to the end, to, to the finish line in the day of the, Jesus, the return of Jesus Christ, you will be confirmed by him. We see this in all kinds of places in the New Testament. Here's a couple, Philippians 1, 16, uh, 1 verse 6, for I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus 
Christ. Matthew Henry says, Those that wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus will be kept by him and confirmed to the end. And those that are so will be blameless in the day of Christ. Listen to this. Not upon the principle of strict justice. You're not blameless because you actually met the standard. But gracious absolution. Not in rigor of law, but from rich and free grace. When you come to the end of your life, or when Jesus returns, you will stand before him. And he will say, this one is mine, they are blameless, and they can come into my kingdom. You know why? Not because of you, but because of the grace given to you in Christ Jesus. He will confirm you to the end. You're not going to get there and say, I confirm myself, I would like to be let in. It doesn't work that way. You will be confirmed by Jesus, or you will not be confirmed at all. Christ, who will confirm you to the end. Do you look forward to that day? I know I do. We don't have to worry about sin anymore, no corruption, none at all, no temptation. We are just with Christ. Speaking of which, verse 9, last thing Christ has done for us is Christ has fellowship with us. Verse 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Why can we have fellowship with Christ? Well, number one, because God is faithful. In the Greek, it's switched. It literally says, faithful God. Faithful God, whom has called us into fellowship with his son. It's a call back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, where it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God. What does it mean to be a faithful God? Who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. God keeps his promises. He's faithful to his promises. To a thousand generations. You wait a thousand generations and God will still keep his promise. You and I wait about 20 minutes and then we say, well, I guess I don't have to do that anymore. God keeps his promises. He is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. You know how you can be confident that you will be sanctified in this life and in the life to come? Because God said you will, and he's faithful to his promises. God doesn't change his mind. He's made a covenant, a promise that he will sanctify you, that he will complete his work in you, and he will confirm you to the end, and so he will. You know why we have fellowship with Jesus? Because God's faithful. Number two, it's because God called us in. <laughs> Again, it's not us. It's not us inviting ourselves in. It says, through whom you were called. The same word is back when Paul was called to be an apostle, and you and I were called to be sanctified. We don't get a choice. God said so. God summoned you. You know how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It is not because you prayed that prayer at church camp. It is because God summoned you. That's why you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why you have fellowship with him, because you were called, you were summoned in by God. Now we can have this, this fellowship, this communion with Jesus Christ. Do you understand? You have a relationship with God, like the God, the one, okay? Because he's been kind to you and called you into that relationship. 1 John 1.3 what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
and verse 7 in that same chapter, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. You recognize that the reason you have people in this church and in these Sunday school classes and, and fellowship groups that you enjoy and connect with because you're brothers and sisters in Christ, you know why? Because God is faithful to his promises and because he called you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, you have the benefit, the blessing, the total add-on that you get to have a relationship with all these other people. We have fellowship with one another because of the blood of Jesus. So, remember that. Remember that, that God is faithful, that he doesn't lose one of his own. He doesn't say, I'm going to save that person and sanctify them, and then he forgets and he leaves them behind. He doesn't do that. He calls us, who, by the way, were not lovable and not good people. It is such were some of you. You were all these horrible, sinful things, and yet God has saved you and sanctified you and called you into relationship. And just so you know, he could have said, okay, uh, you're, you're not the good kind of people. You're sinful people, but you know what? I'll make a deal with you. You cannot be slaves of sin. You can be slaves of mine. And he does that. But he doesn't leave us there, does he? He doesn't just say you can be slaves, although that is very much worth it. He says, I will call you friends. And he says even more than that, that he has adopted us into his family, us who were enemies and strangers. He has called us into fellowship. Interestingly, a couple observations about our passage related to the rest of the book. This whole idea of us having fellowship with Christ, having, having a relationship, communion with him. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says, one cannot enjoy fellowship with Christ while being at odds with other members of the body. So it's on this note, the reason verse 9 finishes with being in fellowship with Jesus Christ is because next week in verse 10, we're going to start talking about all these divisions they had in the church. You can't do that. Paul makes his transition from what God has done in the past and will do in the future to what the Corinthians needed to do in the present, that is to mend their divisions. See, I hope you saw in these first nine verses, if you know the book of 1 Corinthians at all, you saw every major theme that's coming in the book in these first nine verses. You see, he, the introduction, this is the Bible Knowledge Commentary again, the introduction to Paul's letters are seedbeds for issues expanded on later. He touched on his calling to be an apostle, the Corinthians calling to be sanctified saints, the unity which was theirs in Christ. We talked about spiritual giftedness. We talked about the return of Christ. All of those things we're going to talk about in much more detail throughout the book. But Paul lays them down and says, this is what you need to know. You have been called to be sanctified and you need to act that way. A couple main applications, two quick ones. You can just remember these for later. Number one, thank God for his grace, his grace given to you in the person of Jesus Christ. All of this, everything we've talked about today only happens because God is gracious and compassionate to you. Number two, act like who you are. You have been called. You are saints. If you are in Christ, you are sanctified. You need to live like that. Because God has confirmed the gospel in us, he's adopted us, he's promised to keep us to the end, we need to fight for holiness and be useful to the master. That is what it means to be sanctified. Dr. Barnett wrapped it up like this. As Christians today, 
God calls us to become and be by his strength what he mercifully sees us to be in Christ that is blameless. This holiness is not merely outward reverence, but practical obedience to God's revealed will. It means on one hand, our separation from sexual impurity and false worship and lying and cheating and others. And on the other hand, our love of one another and our love for Jesus Christ. In short, God, through the apostle, is calling us to a life of holiness. And that, in a nutshell, is the message of Paul to the Corinthians and to us. <laughs> he said, be all you can be. Don't join the army. I mean, you can if you want, but be who you are. You are sanctified by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And we need to live that way. Let's pray. God, you're good and kind, and we are so thankful for your word. God, we feel very inadequate reading about the fact that you have saved us and sanctified us and called us to your purposes. And God, we know we can only live lives that reflect our calling if you are kind and gracious to, to provide for us how we can do that. We pray that you would work in your spirit and each one here today who is in Christ, that you would drive us to be holy in our lives, to put away sin and to pursue righteousness and desire to be useful to you in your work here. And if anyone here is not in Christ, God, I pray that you would, would call them away from their sin and, and adopt them into your family even today, that you would intervene and call them to be sanctified today. God, I pray that all of us would live this week and the rest of our lives as saints by calling. Thank you for this in your name. Amen.